Hi, this is Pastor Bob. Today is number two as we're taking up the subject of the sin unto death and the unpardonable sin. We're going to talk about the sin unto death, one that a Christian commits. We're going to talk about examples from the Word of God and the fact that even if that sentence is pronounced on you, you have time to repent and God can extend your life. Let's talk about that from the Word of God. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? Let's go to the Word together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. If you were listening yesterday to the broadcast and you know we were into the issue of the Bible, of the sin unto death, and comparing that to the unpardonable sin. And Christians don't often see the difference. So as we get into the Word of God today, I do want you to know I'm offering my book on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's one of my newer books, and I'm sure you're going to be greatly blessed by it. And this issue we're talking about of the sin unto death that believers can commit is brought up in that book. Let me just quickly kind of give you an overview of the two. What is the unpardonable sin? There's only one unpardonable sin that Jesus did not die for. Say, well, Jesus died for all sin on the cross. He died for every sin but one. And that one sin he lets you handle. You can take care of it. And that one sin is rejection of himself. If Jesus would have died for that along with all other sins, then we would have no choice in getting born again. He died for it and he handled it. And now we're all automatically born again. And this is just not true. He leaves the choice to us. And so he died for every sin except one and leaves that one for us to choose. Do we accept Jesus or do we not? If we accept Jesus, that sin is taken care of. It'll never be brought up again. Just like all other sins that Jesus took on the cross will never be brought up again because he died for them and removed them. Oh, we might be accountable for them in our natural life and we'll be held accountable for them when we get to heaven, but they will not keep us out of heaven. God will give us rewards up there for following him and removal of rewards for the sins that we committed as believers that we didn't ask for forgiveness for. You know, asking God for forgiveness is as simple as 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Notice, if we, John was writing to Christians. It's in this book and you'll, you can study it there. He was writing to Christians, not to sinners. A Christian is the one that can confess his sin because he's now a priest. Only priests can confess their sins. So once we become a believer and we become part of the priesthood of God, when we commit a sin, we can take it directly to God. As priests, we can go to our great high priest and take it directly to him. We don't have to find a priest on this earth, sit in a booth and have somebody on the other side and, and speak through a screen to them and tell them what sins we have committed. Because first of all, it's none of their business. It's a business between me and God. And as a Christian and being part of the eternal priesthood of God, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, I can bring my sins directly to God that I commit as a Christian. And not only can I bring it to him, if I repent of them, I tell, I confess them to the Lord. He's faithful and just to forgive me my sin, then cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Any sins I didn't know about surrounding the sin I did know about, when I confess the sin I do know about, he forgives the sin I don't know about. And he cleanses me from all unrighteousness when I do so something so simple as confessing that. But if I do not confess that sin, then it's held accountable when I get to heaven and I'll go through the judgment seat of Christ and the fire of God will descend on all my works I have done as a Christian and the ones I did in fellowship with God, in line with his word, will last. That's called gold, silver, and precious stones. But the things I did outside of fellowship with him, knowing I was in sin, yet still doing that, 
are going to be burned up and God will take them away. So that's the point. That is the unpardonable sin we're talking about that uh, sinners commit, but the sins that believers commit can be forgiven before God when we simply confess them. So the sins we've been talking about here on the broadcast yesterday is the sin unto death. This is something that believers commit. The unpardonable sin again is rejection of Jesus Christ. Once you get born again, that sin is taken care of and you're going to heaven. But you can commit sins in this life we have because Christians commit sins and we find it throughout the Word of God. Believers of the Old Testament, Christians of the New New Testament who have put their faith and trust in God had problems in their life with sin. And we've covered a number of them that actually sin so much in positions of leadership. And this is when God really holds you accountable for your lifestyle in front of people is when you become leaders. That's why as far as ministers and teachers are concerned, the Bible says your accountability is even greater than with other Christians because why you influence so many people around you. King David committed adultery and murder and was out under the sin unto death. But the moment it was told to him, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan the prophet said, your sins have been forgiven. You will not die. So he was under the sin unto death. He was about to die. We don't know how long it would have been because usually when it was initiated, it was a little time before that person died, giving them time to repent. We find that in the Old Testament too with the king. When standing before Isaiah, Isaiah walked out and announced to him, you're going to die because of your going to Egypt for help. And so he turned whenever Isaiah walked out, the king turned to the wall and he confessed his sin to the Lord. And then he, and then out here, Isaiah, the prophet was stopped by God and said, go back and tell him he's just added 15 years to his life. So he did. This again is the sin unto death and only a believer can commit this. And it's not spiritual death, it's physical death. It removes you from your body, from the ministry you have on this earth and takes you directly to heaven. So you can get out of the way of being a roadblock to other believers around you. So another we did talk about yesterday was Nadab and Abihu about how the God hates false worship. And when they brought false worship in, then God took their life while they were officiating in the temple, in the tabernacle, God took their life. Yes, they went to heaven there with him there, but their life was taken because they had gone in and done wrong in front of those that were in, in the uh, temple with them, within the holy with place with them. But when they got into the holy of holies, they operated there wrongly. And so the Lord took their life. God, again, they were in a place of, of guidance and of, and of ability before others to show their walk with God. And so God took their life. The other one we talked about was Uzzah. God hates disobedience and he was commanded not to touch the ark, but to carry it with poles. But when the ark began to rock as it was put on a cart, which was wrong and began to jostle, he reached up to touch it and he was struck dead. This is found in first Chronicles chapter 15. We ended the broadcast yesterday talking about Ananias and Sapphira. And in the New Testament, they came and they offered to the church money that they had sold a piece of property for because why? Barnabas had done the same thing, but didn't lie in front of the people. Barnabas sold a piece of property and gave all of it to the Lord. He told the truth. But when they sold the property, they kept back part of it, but said, this is it. We sold the property for this. And they lied to the Lord. And it was told to Peter while he was standing in front of them that they had lied. And so the first one that died was Ananias. And about three hours later, Sapphira died. 
right? And so again, they, this happened in front of the people in the church. I'm sure there must have been a gasp in the church service when those two died right there. And then they were dragged out of church and they were buried. Did they go to heaven? Absolutely, they went to heaven. Do they have a loss of rewards in heaven? Absolutely, they have a loss of rewards in heaven because the sin unto death is one that is committed by believers. Let's talk about King Saul in the Old Testament. He was another believer who died the sin unto death and his sons died with him because of his disobedience before God. He was given so much grace by God. He sinned and repented and sinned and repented and sinned and repented. But most of his repentance was mainly emotional. He didn't do a change in his lifestyle. Oh, he was sad, truly sad he had done it, but he didn't want to go to the word of God and get his life in order. He thought, okay, I'm forgiven. Everything is fine. His hidden sins eventually became visible to the nation of Israel and those that served close to him. All these examples that I'm giving to you of those who disobeyed God publicly openly influenced many people. Abraham's sin was private, as was Moses, as was David. They were all dealt with in God by public uh, display of their death where their sins were committed. David repented in time and Moses did not repent. And so he's the one that ended up dying early. God wants our service and our worship to be done publicly, but in line with his word and directed by the Holy Spirit. God is to be worshiped in spirit and in truth. John chapter four and verse 24. Amos chapter five, verses 21 through 23 says, I hate, I despise your feast days. God didn't despise the the feast days and hate the feast days. He said, I despise your feast days, what you've turned them into. And I will not smell your solemn assemblies. And where he had the fragrance of the offerings that came up before him. It says, though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of the fat of your animals. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. Here, God was speaking to a nation that he knew was going to go later on into captivity, and they would be in captivity for a long time. This is not just the captivity of the Old Testament where they were taken off and uh, taken off into uh, captivity in Babylon. This is the time later when after the temple was destroyed for 2,000 years, they would be dispersed around the world, and they didn't come back until 1948. 2,000 years they were in dispersion around the world, and yet God eventually brought them back to their own nation. And once they came back in 1948, they're not going to leave again. That's the beauty of what God had to offer. So Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12, the Lord says, I, Jesus, will declare your name to my brothers. In the midst of the church, I will sing praises to you. And Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6 tells us, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is the issue God is bringing up here. He doesn't want us working by our own natural might. He doesn't want us working by our own natural power. He wants us to on the Holy Spirit, and he wants us to depend on the Word of God, the Lord of hosts. This is what God is telling us, and this is where it comes back to it. God did not give us the Holy Spirit for us to turn away and not listen to. He didn't give us the Word of God so that we wouldn't study it. He wants us to study it. He wants us to live by it, and in doing so, we can become followers of him and a display before others. Jesus talked to those 
in John chapter 8 who just believed in him. And it says, while he was preaching, many believed on him. And Jesus said to those Jews who just believed on him, now, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So God was simply saying he wants them to become disciples, one that's a visible walking example of Jesus Christ. God loves it when a person gets saved, but he loves it even more after that when they begin to show others. Because your lifestyle is a form of witnessing to other people. You can witness with your mouth, as Jesus did by preaching, but you can also witness with your lifestyle in front of people, and your lifestyle can actually is something that it's like, it's not like your mouth. Your mouth can talk for a certain time and be quiet, but your lifestyle is always out there. God wants you to live this in front of others. Living for Jesus is a time when you may not even be thinking about it, but the Word has so saturated your life, following the Holy Spirit has become so much a part of your life that that's all you want to do is just live for the Lord, and you do it without thinking about it. It's something that is a natural reaction to you to act a certain way. It's your natural reaction to tell the truth. It's your natural reaction to talk about Jesus and live by Him. So the point of it is it comes back to it. This is what God wants in our life. So as Zechariah 4, 6 says again, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is a supernatural Christian life. We'll get more into it in the next half. John's Gospel was written as a testimony of Jesus as the Christ and as a guide for unbelievers to come to Him as their Savior. But the epistles of John, his three letters written to the church, are for guidance and strengthening to believers and church leadership who are facing troubling issues with false prophets, Gnostic heresies, and the pride that can invade the church, causing confusion and distress. John's epistles comfort believers with encouragement to continue doing right, stay in faith, be confident in Christ, and to love other believers as part of one family. Pastor Bob Yandian makes the complicated simple with a verse-by-verse teaching and commentary of the three epistles of John. To order the epistles of John, visit bobyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines are demystified. Redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. March the 7th through the 9th, I'm having my minister's conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Joseph Z will be joining me, and I want you to join me too, no matter what phase of ministry you're involved in. March the 7th through the 9th. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. 
In this last half of the broadcast, I want to simply do a simple comparison between the unpardonable sin and the sin unto death. I've covered these things quite quickly, and I want to take a little more time to show you the difference between the two. And please, I know the announcer's just been on, get a copy of the book on 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. So much in there deals with this. And let's talk about the unpardonable sin first of all. There is only one unpardonable sin and that's rejection of Jesus as Savior. John 16 and verse eight says this, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, singular, and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. Notice, what is that sin? He will convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. When you stand before a person, listen, all the sins a person's ever committed were taken to the cross and, and Jesus died for them and they have been removed as the issue. Are the sins still there? Yes, as far as in the person's life he has committed and that's all the person can think about. I've done all these bad things or maybe I'm thinking I've done this many good things but only this many bad things. My good things outnumber out my bad things but Jesus already went to the cross for all of your sins and died for them except for one. And this is what the issue is with witnessing. We don't need, I mean, if a person, if a person like a girl says, well, I was a prostitute, a guy says, well, you know, I, I beat my wife. I've committed, I've murdered people. I end up in prison. All that's, you know, is God going to let me into heaven? The answer is yes, because those things have been taken care of. They will never be brought up in eternity. The only thing that comes when you get to heaven is one thing. If God even stands in front of heaven and he doesn't, if Jesus stands there and he doesn't, if Peter is at the front gate and he's not, there is no closed front gate. It's wide open because anyone who arrives in front of that gate has received Jesus as Lord and Savior. When you die, you go immediately to heaven. As a Christian, you go immediately to hell if you have rejected Jesus Christ. But when you get there, if someone were to ask you, why are you coming in here? What allows you to come in here? You would not have to say, well, all my sins have been forgiven. Well, that's happened with the entire world. All their sins have been forgiven. Only one thing stands between you and walking through that open gate. I received Jesus as my savior. The one sin Jesus didn't die for, but left with you. Whenever the issue of witnessing comes up, if a girl says again, I was a prostitute, a guy says I've killed people, I've ended up in prison, that is not the issue. The issue is what are you gonna do with Jesus Christ? Because those sins are not what's keeping you out of heaven. It's one sin that's keeping you out of heaven. And right now you can judge that for yourself because he left yet to judge for you. And so when a person does that, all they have to do is receive Jesus as Savior. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin, singular. The one sin the Holy Spirit convicts of is rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior after you're born again. The Holy Spirit can forgive you of the sins you commit after being born again. But the beauty of it is, is those sins do not keep you out of heaven. They keep you out of fellowship on earth. And there is no operation of the Holy Spirit in life. Although he lives in you, he doesn't control you. Your flesh is controlling you. And 1 John 1, 9, if we confess that sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us of that. Then the Holy Spirit again, who lives in us now has control of us. So it comes back to this after you're born again. Yes, sins do amount up and they are held against you, but it's in, on this earth, not in going to heaven. And if you don't judge them on earth, if you don't bring them up and you don't ask God to forgive you the sins you commit as a believer, you're going to take them to heaven with you and they'll be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. In either case, they're either taken care of at the cross or they're taken care of with you when you confess them. And if you don't confess them, they're still going to be taken care of. After you became a Christian, they'll be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. 
Christ. This is all found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So again, great things in the Word of God, simple. And what it comes back to is the unpardonable sin is committed by a sinner who does not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he goes to hell for one reason. His name was not found written in the book of life. He goes to heaven for one reason. His name was found written in the book of life. And the difference between the, those two books was one thing. He accepted Jesus as his Savior. She accepted Jesus as their, her Savior. And that's what makes witnessing so simple. Jesus was in this world not imputing their trespasses against them. So if he didn't, you don't. They may name all the things they've done. You said, listen, Jesus died for that. Jesus died for that. There's only one sin he didn't die for, and that's why I'm talking to you now. You need to accept him as your Lord and Savior. As many as believed on him, to them was given power to become the sons and daughters of God. So again, the unpardonable sin is committed by a sinner, never a Christian. It cannot be forgiven if the person does not want forgiveness through Jesus' blood, and this defines blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's the one sin Jesus didn't die for on the cross. He died for all other sins and leaves this one to us. But what about the sin unto death? This is the one we've been discussing now for a day and a half, and that is this sin unto death is not one sin, but a series of sin leading up to this sin, basically, like I said, the straw that breaks the camel's back. 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says this, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and will give him life for those who commit a sin not leading to death. Notice it doesn't say one particular sin. It's the sin that actually God says, that's enough. I can't go any further. You're influencing too many other people around you. You're in a leadership position or you're in a position of authority and they're watching this. They're thinking, if you can get by with it, they can get by with it. I have to do something. So it may not be, again, the same sin with everybody. It's just a series of sins. And finally, this last one, God says, I can't take it any longer. Now it says up until that point, you can ask and they'll be forgiven. So when you see them, you can pray for them and you can pray for them that God will forgive them and he will forgive them. But there comes a time when it keeps mounting up that God simply says, no more, no more. He says they're out under the sin of the death. They have to repent. And so I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, but there is a sin not leading to death. Not every sin, again, what he's saying here leads to death. So the sin unto death is only committed by a Christian, by a believer. This death is not spiritual death. They still go to heaven. It's physical death. And they do not lose their eternal life. And just like the man that committed incest with his own stepmother in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The believer who dies the sin unto death goes to heaven and may have a great loss of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, if any man's works will be burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved so as by fire. And we will see examples of this here in just a moment. Mario Morello is a friend of mine, and we've known each other for years, and he is again a prophet of God and a tremendous teacher of the Word of God. But uh, his first wife left him, and she got caught up in a cult. She divorced Mario and left, left to this cult, and she was there for years, for a long, long time. And Mario, you know, he remarried, and that marriage didn't last and stuff, and so he still thought about her a lot, wondering what was going on. One day, the Lord spoke to Mario and said, pray for the leader that he'll die. Mario didn't know what to do. He said, what? I'm supposed to do what? He says, pray for him that he will die. 
I don't think Mario will mind me telling this story. But anyway, Mario kept arguing. The Lord said, you only have a certain amount of time to do this. You need to do it. So Mario said, you know, he was, he did that. He finally just dealt, prayed and prayed for the death of that leader. And he said that leader was walking down the streets in California one day in a city in California and just fell over dead on the sidewalk, just died right there on the spot. Physical death. If he was truly born again, which I believe he probably was born again, just got caught up in this extreme uh, belief and extreme uh, bondage putting people in and, and people were actually living there almost as servants and slaves under him. And so he died and the whole cult fell apart. and Mario's ex-wife was there and she just left. And so eventually they somehow got back together and now they're remarried and God has just totally healed that thing. But there was an example where Mario brought out, he said, I had never been asked by the Lord to do that. And yet God asked me to do that. And I did it. And he said, you know what? He said, it's, it's, I don't know if I'll ever be asked to do it again, but what a feeling that he had since on himself of great responsibility. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29 and 30 describes an entire congregation caught up in the sins of the flesh, believers caught up in the sins of the flesh, immature believers caught up in the sins of the flesh. And in first Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29 and 30, it says this to the Corinthian congregation, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, this is the cup, partaking of the fellowship of God and the communion elements and whoever eats of the bread and drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner. Notice it doesn't say you're unworthy. The manner you are doing it in is unworthy. Eats and drinks, the King James says damnation. It's not, it's the word judgment. Eats and drinks judgment to himself. Why? Not discerning the Lord's body. You just take it as a meal. And in fact, the people are even getting drunk at the communion table here in 1 Corinthians. And Paul was angry at them and telling them, and that's why he brings this verse of scripture. He says, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you. And because of this sickness had come in, they were not discerning because in the Lord's uh, supper, there's healing there. The bread speaks of his body, which was broken for us that by his stripes, we were healed. The cup speaks of forgiveness of sins. And so part of the atoning work of Jesus on the cross was for sickness to be healed. Jesus healed all that were oppressed of the devil that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. This is in Matthew 8, 17. Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. On the cross, he did this and they didn't see it. If they would have, sickness wouldn't have been that much of a problem in the church and weakness would not have been that much of a problem. But he says, and many of you sleep and the key word here is sleep. Many of you die early. The longer you keep going in the wrong direction, you will die early. Other believers with the direction of the Holy Spirit are allowing to turn the sinning believer over to the sin unto death. First Corinthians chapter five, verses one, four, and five. It's actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. The Gentiles, the heathen would even discuss this type of sin that a man has his father's wife in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are gathered together along with my Holy Spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is not something you do totally on your own. It takes the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ in it. And if repentance is early enough, the sin unto death can be removed. And it was on this man, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the man repented. And now Paul says, let him back into the congregation in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority 
is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one of you be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Now Paul is saying, let him back in the church. They were quick to ask for him to die, and he was out under the sin unto death. But he, during that time, since the sin unto death usually is announced and happens a little bit later, you have a moment of time to repent of it before God, and then God can turn that. And he said, therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Let him back in the church. Forgiveness to the person's face comes when they repent. This releases them. Otherwise, forgiveness only from your heart to God for them is necessary. This releases you. What's happened says, listen, whenever you've done something wrong, you can ask God to forgive you. He will forgive you. And what other people think about you at that time is not really the issue. They'll have to change, and that can happen. So again, we have that with the sin unto death versus the unpardonable sin. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll see you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.